You're listening to Bible Prophecy Talk with Chris White on the Revelations Radio Network. Today's episode is brought to you by AudibleTrial.com. Sign up for a 30-day trial and get a free audiobook download. You can keep your free audiobook even if you cancel your free trial, which you can do at any time, no strings attached. Just go to this link, audibletrial.com slash chris. I will also put a link to the free trial page on the footer of my websites. Audible has over 100,000 titles to choose from. For your free audiobook, I would recommend something from the Great Courses series. These usually retail around $50 each, and they contain university-level courses. I recently devoured all 36 lectures, totaling over 24 hours of content called Living the French Revolution and the Age of Napoleon. Or you might like to download an audio Bible in your favorite version. The ESV, or the New King James Version, retails for close to $50, but you can get one of them for free if you go to this very specific URL, audibletrial.com slash chris. Or maybe you have a book or novel that you've been meaning to read. Why not get it for free and listen to it on your commute to work? You can download the app and listen to your free audiobook on your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. This is pretty much a win-win situation. You get a free audiobook and Audible supports this show. All you have to do is go to this specific URL so that they know I sent you. audibletrial.com slash chris or go to the link in the footer of any of my websites. Thanks a lot. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome to Bible Prophecy Talk. My name is Chris. Thank you for downloading this show. If you have any questions for me, don't hesitate to write. You can go to the front page of the website and hit the contact button. That goes straight to my email box. If you would, put something in the subject like questions for the show or something like that so I can know to set it aside for future episodes. Just a quick note for anybody that's interested, I've been doing a few radio interviews for the book Mystery Babylon. And so if you want to check those out, I'll link a few in the show notes. I did one recently with Derek Gilbert on his show, A View from the Bunker. Also recently with Doug Hamp, and then another great show called Prophecy Zone. So you can find those all on iTunes or just Google them. In addition, I will put them in the show notes of this episode, which is dated 10-25-2013. Okay, so let's just jump right into your questions. Question number one. Question number one comes from Bob, and he says, I stated that my gut said that the Antichrist would be Jewish. I change on this daily and have to say after looking at it again to me the only pairing of the uh, on, to me the only pairing of the antichrist and false prophet that would most logically capture the hearts of all Jews and Muslims the nations will fall from for anyone is if the false prophet Elijah is Jewish and the antichrist is some part Muslim or they're both Jewish i think that the false Elijah has to be Jewish and the strong delusion with line signs, lightning, would certainly give credibility to anyone the false Elijah anoints. I have a paper about this uh, by Marino Franco called The Beast That Comes Out of the Land that describes how this Elijah is Jewish. The word earth also being land, as in the land of Israel. If, the theory, if this theory is correct, the other beast arises from the sea, and with the Bible using... Uh, Using comparison and contrast so much of the time, I would expect a Gentile Antichrist from the sea if the false prophet was Jewish from the earth land. Assumptions here, but that seems logical without hard examination. Okay, the first thing I'd want to zero in on is the idea that the Antichrist needs to, quote-unquote, capture the hearts of the whole world. Um, I believe that we are... 
in one sense, this is true. I mean, all the world marvels at the beast because of whatever, this wound that is healed. But the idea that he captures or is, it's necessary for him to capture the hearts of the Muslim world, I think is is not what we see in scripture. So, for example, I, I don't think that uh, he is going to be a universalist of any kind. Um, I, d I don't see him even attempting to capture the hearts of the Muslim world. You know, even if we take a very uh, sort of standoffish approach to Daniel 11 and, and say it's a two-king theory instead of the three-king theory, he's at least being attacked uh, and defeating a number of Muslim nations. If we take the three-king theory, he's defeating quite a bit of Muslim nations. So either way you look at it, the only real uh, evidence that we have of him being hostile to anyone in a military sense is the Muslim world. We should also understand that that not everybody worships the Antichrist. In fact, uh, quite a lot of people choose to die, apparently, than to worship him. Uh, we're not told that these are only uh, Christians that choose not to worship him. I would imagine it's probably a huge number of people that uh, that choose not to worship him. It's really not the Antichrist's business. He's, he's saying you either worship me or you die. I don't really care what you believe. It's death or worship. Um, I I get the feeling that um, the, the 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 Muslim world in the end times will be one of the largest groups of of, of sort of revival actually uh, for for Christianity, and I I don't know how that would all work, but I do know that uh, since they will apparently be the enemies of the Antichrist, they will uh, certainly be against him, whatever that, I'm sure that will just turn into raw hatred on their part, but I also see an opportunity for evangelism and, and great revival in the Muslim world in the end times uh, because of their uh, position of being used by the Antichrist to be sort of a, um, you know, the, this 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 puppet bad guy. Well, not, anyway, th that's a possibility. I, I don't want to be too dogmatic about that. Um, I would say that Elijah, you know, I would definitely not disagree with this paper of this guy that Elijah is Jewish. He makes a, a lot of, you know, cases like, hey, Elijah needs to come in order to and do all these things. Clearly, the, the false prophet is doing stuff like calling fire down from heaven, doing all these things that Elijah is supposed to do. It seems quite obvious to me that the false prophet is is trying very hard to fulfill the prophecies of the returning Elijah right before the Messiah, which is a standard sort of uh, a prophecy thing. That's, you know, Jesus talked about John the Baptist, you know, for those who, who were willing, he was, he was in fact Elijah, but he goes on to say, I, I think it's possible that uh, we could be, that could be a, a dual fulfillment. And in fact, the two witnesses could have something to do with that too. And anyway, the point is, um, I do think that's what the Antichrist is pretending to be. And of course, as this paper points out, he would have to be Jewish. But this idea that we can determine the nationality of them based on this language of coming from the earth and coming from the sea, this guy says, well, the earth, you know, if you read my stuff and whatever, you'll see that this could mean uh, having to do with Israel and sea, you know, always means this. I, I really don't see that. I mean, I was just doing some word searches right now, and I think this is something that I've always sort of believed just because I've heard people talk about it. But I'm not sure you can really make this kind of dogmatic case that whenever something comes from the sea, then we know it's Gentiles, and whenever something says the earth, that it come that it's uh, from Israel. I think that word earth is it would be really difficult to to 
to make that case from doing a word study. Uh, so we'd have to, this guy doesn't explain it very much in his paper about why we should believe that. He just simply says it's true, basically. Uh, it doesn't quote a lot of scripture in that regard. His, his burden seems to be more about, uh, showing that the, uh, that Elijah is Jewish, which I would agree with. But uh, as far as why we need to understand the earth and sea as, as being, uh, in this case, unquestioned, unquestioned, especially in light of a few things. Okay, if we're saying that the hermeneutic is that the false prophet is going to try to fulfill the, the scriptures in Isaiah and so on and so forth to be like Elijah, then are we then not going to say that the Antichrist needs to try to fulfill that same hermeneutic and be, you know, from the lineage of David, from the uh, town of Bethlehem, you know, both of those are messianic prophecies that I would expect that if if they're expecting Elijah to be, uh, to be, um, you know, fulfilling prophecies to the letter, they should expect their Messiah to also be, you know, uh, from Bethlehem and also um, be from the, the, provably from the tribe of David. And I suppose one could say, well, maybe he's half from the tribe of David and was born in Bethlehem, but he's also a Muslim or whatever. I guess, yeah, sure, whatever. But, uh, you know, we've got we've got other things that we could add to that. I mean, the God of his fathers, you know, thing in Daniel 11. I could point to a few other things like, um, you know, that when he says there will be, you know, one will come in his own name and him you will uh, accept. That word there is is the same word that he uses for his own followers. Uh, it's, um, you know, I could there's some other things that I could say that I think that are circumstantial sure but uh, seem to suggest if we're going to say that the hermeneutic of the of the end times Jews is expecting their Elijah to fulfill prophecy why not then also expect the same thing from their Messiah clearly it would it would be it would be problematic in any way that I can think of that a Muslim man can uh, can be a uh, uh, a candidate for the Messiah if they're expecting their Elijah to be like that. And if our only hope there is the fact that it says that the Antichrist will come from the sea, then I have trouble with that, especially based on wh- why did he come from the sea? W- well, what came out of the sea? The, the, the amalgamated beast, which was to represent the entire uh, world at that time. Uh, if we just do a search for the word sea in the book of Revelation, we don't see any uh, any reason to believe that that's only talking about Gentiles. It's used in every kind of context you could possibly think of. Well, if, if like using the English word see, it, it's not tied to just uh, uh, Jews or, or, or Gentiles. So I think that these that's one of these things that maybe um, it's just been kind of part of our, our prophecy lexicon for a while, but it m- might need to be uh, a jettisoned in terms of a way to interpret scripture. Before moving on, Bob asks another really great question. He says, at the end of Daniel 11, where the chapter break is, uh, where it says he will come to his end, you stated that this really isn't his end yet since the abomination event occurs next. Is it possible that he actually does meet his end in assassination, martyrdom, sacrifice, physically with the head wound here, probably raised three days later for the world to see, and then defiles the temple at the beginning of Daniel 12? I haven't looked to see if this breaks anything chronologically. Um, this is definitely something I have thought about, and I can't even believe I didn't mention it in that uh, uh, audio. It's definitely possible chronologically. It fits perfectly chronologically, um, but it's not clear if that's exactly what's happening. Um, 
so basically, to, for anybody that's wondering, he's, he's referring to the last study that I did on Daniel 11, where at the end of the, the chapter in Daniel 11, it's, it seems to come to a conclusion. It says, in, in Daniel 11.45, He shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain, and yet he shall come to his end and no one will help him. So if you're just reading the end of chapter 11, it sounds like, well, that's the end of the Antichrist, move on. Uh, he's going to plant uh, the tents of his palace uh, somewhere there in Israel, on the and then he's going to come to his end, and no one's going to help him. So it sounds like he gets to Israel and is destroyed. But but Daniel twelve one, if you flip the page, has starts out this way: At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. So what? And it says at the beginning, at that time, what time? The time that he. Uh, comes to Israel and sets his, his his tents right there. So at that time would make great sense because, of course, we know that this time of trouble, which never was and all this other stuff, this could be the very thing that Jesus says when he talked about when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. You know, and it goes on to say that that's when the time of, of tribulation, such as never was since there was a nation even to this day. So we're, we should be very attentive to that language because it's the exact same scenario. So certainly it is possible that the Antichrist, after these wars, gets to Israel, begins to then conquer the, 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 the Muslim people around there, particularly in Jordan, where they escape from his hand or, and whatever else he's doing, he is then killed and then resurrected, and that's when the he goes into the temple, declares himself to be God, and all the rest. So that's a possibility, and it also could be, as I said in the um, in the audio, that he this idea of who comes to his end and no one will help him could be like the other references, like in Second Thessalonians two to the Antichrist, where it says the Antichrist, you know, or whatever the man of sin, who the Lord will destroy with the breath of his mouth. You know, it's just sort of kind of like a title. Here's the guy that the Lord will destroy. But he's not saying that in a chronological sense because Paul then goes on to talk about the abomination of desolation and everything else. He just just reiterates that he will be destroyed even in the introduction. So it could be something like that. It could certainly be chronologically, uh, it could chronologically fit in that scenario as well. Okay, let's move on to question number two. Okay, question number two says, if the first seal is the early career of the Antichrist, then does the Bible make it clear that we will even know who he is at this point, or will his revealing come around the midpoint or seven-year span? Will the early career of Antichrist be fully possessed by Satan, even though this may not be important scripturally? Do you think the Antichrist knows who he is, or is he merely possessed by Satan when Michael the Archangel is allowing his revealing? Okay, some good questions here. Um... I think that what we were just talking about in Daniel 11 shows us that we should be able to know a number of things that he is doing before this uh, midpoint, that is particularly his conquests. Um, and so I do think that we should have a pretty good idea of who he is. Um, I do think that what the Bible calls his revealing, this is something I'll need to double check, but I've come to believe that the revealing that Paul talks about there in Second Thessalonians two is a reference to the abomination event. So that is that is a the, the revealing of Antichrist at the midpoint. So in, in one sense, you could say he was 
in our English term revealed and that you could know who he is before that. But I think that what the, the word that Paul is using there is a reference to um, what Daniel was talking about in terms of the abomination of desolation and also what the Lord was talking about at the in the Olivet Discourse. You say, will the early career of Antichrist be fully possessed by Satan? Um, or do you think the Antichrist knows who he is? Or is he merely possessed by Satan when Michael the Archangel is allowing his revealing? Well, we know that the that Satan seems to be thrown to the earth at the midpoint. That doesn't necessarily mean that, that Satan couldn't have been doing something else before then. But uh, it does seem that the full-on you know possession and i would say that the the worship that satan will then require of the earth uh through either by proxy of the antichrist but probably more specifically through the image of the beast happens after the midpoint um that is not to say however that uh that satan isn't involved with the antichrist beforehand in fact we are told that the conquering of the antichrist uh, he receives his power and, and, and conquests and, and all this other stuff from Satan himself. That will be um, that will be the working of Satan. And I also think that in our last study of Daniel uh, 11, the god of fortresses that uh, is essentially letting him do all the conquering is in fact Satan's power. So in one sense he is 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 giving homage or, or I don't know how you would look at that. He's certainly conquering by the power of Satan, but the midpoint seems to be the place where uh, Satan falls. And then we have a direct uh, requiring of worship uh, of Satan after that. Okay. You ask another question and that is in your opinion, when does the Bible describe the treaty that is confirmed for seven years? Is the author simply describing what he's shown, or is he telling the reader this is what to look for? In other words, could it be possible a treaty is signed in secret and it lasts seven years, but didn't say anybody would know about it? It's not like the author said the whole world will watch as a treaty is signed. It just says he will confirm a treaty. Right. This this idea of confirming a treaty is admittedly a very, very difficult thing, and there's not a lot of information to go on. Um, I wanted to say something that I think about this, and that is, I, I think that what's being referred to there is a messianic uh, prophecy. Just like everything else, I think that the Antichrist, with this covenant of peace, is is trying to reference to uh, Isaiah uh, 10, uh, excuse me, Isaiah 54:10, for example, where he says, uh, uh, "My covenant of peace shall not be removed," says the Lord who has compassion on you, O afflicted one, storm tossed and confirmed. Behold, I will set you with stones. And antimony and lay your foundation. Okay, so he goes on to say, this is like a, a messianic, or rather a, a, a millennial prophecy as we would look at it. You know, no, never again, no weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication from me, declares the Lord. This is a, this covenant, covenant of peace. There's this language of that throughout millennial, as we would think of it, or a Jewish person might think of it as kingdom age prophecies uh, about a covenant that is made in the end times as a part of that. Now, we could look at that a number of ways in the New Testament, but one thing that is, is certain, as far as I can see it, is that this strong covenant, this, this, this peace, peace, when there is no peace kind of idea, is intended to, to mimic the prophecies of the quote-unquote covenant of peace. Now, 
I, I agree with the with you, Justin, that it does not say in any way that this. And I think that we should be attentive to the to the idea that we are kind of we have a Hal Lindsey hangover kind of thing with this seven year peace agreement that that uh, is signed. And you're right, there is no indication whatsoever that this will be declared to be a seven-year peace agreement or a seven-year millennium. In fact, if there's going to be any validity whatsoever to this idea, um, then he shouldn't say it's going to just be a seven-year kingdom age because it's supposed to be an eternal one if it's really the Messiah and he's you know really... So I, I would say that we shouldn't be looking for a seven-year contract, but what we should be looking for, and, and this is something I'm kind of, I waffle back and forth on a little bit to see to what degree uh, this first three and a half years will look like a, the, the Jewish world has found their Messiah. I kind of was waffling back and forth on it, thinking, well, it'll just be sort of mild. Maybe it won't be that big a deal. But the more I look at it, the the more I think that this initial uh, thing that happens at the beginning of what we would call the seven-year period uh, is is very much... I mean, I don't know if the temple is just agreed to start being built at that time, or maybe it's it's already built at that time and sacrifices are starting or, or whatever. But it appears to me that that first three and a half years seems to give the Antichrist, uh, or at least uh, it starts to become very clear to them that he is uh, their Messiah, if not a full-on celebration of him as a Messiah, including daily sacrifices and the temple being rebuilt and everything else. So... Uh, if, in fact, this covenant of peace is supposed to reference back to Isaiah and it's supposed to look like the covenant of peace that Messiah makes with Israel uh, at the beginning of the, the kingdom age, then, of course, it, it presupposes that they believe that they have, in fact, found their Messiah. I do believe that uh, that at the midpoint, whatever happens there after he's whatever, uh, whatever changes at the midpoint when Satan you know, comes down and everything, and, and uh, then he begins to declare himself to be God. I don't think it's, that's his theology beforehand. I think that's a, a new thing, but I don't think it freaks everybody out either. I think that uh, a lot of people go along with it. I'm not sure exactly what what the specific differences are, but I do know that's when nobody really has a lot of time to think about it anymore because that's when the persecution begins and things start to get uh, real. So, uh, yeah, so yeah, to to be a little confused about this seven-year peace agreement is is n- don't feel bad about that. Uh, in, in in the study I did, I talked about something called the Jerusalem Covenant. Um, saying it could be something like that, but even if it's something you know as silly as that, it would have to be a lot meatier in terms of a, a real kind of agreement about a Messiah, uh, and and it may not even be a paper being signed, anything like that. It might just be because it's it's obviously referring back to the you know the idea of a covenant of peace whether it's actually something that they make with blood in the old ways or not, or it's just a sort of way to express this, this what's supposed to happen when the Messiah does come back is hard to say. But regardless, it seems to me to be a, an indication of uh, belief in the, uh, uh, the Isaiah 54 and other places. I just Googled that one quickly. I knew that there was a number of places that that kind of idea occurs in the Old Testament in reference to the millennium. So, yeah. Moving on to question number three. 
Question number three comes from Paul, and he is asking about the rapture. He saw something on the Prophecy Club that said that uh, only evil people are going to be raptured out, not believers. And they say they use Proverbs 10.30 to justify their point. Well, you know, there's a lot of silly stuff going around about this idea, who gets raptured. And first of all, this kind of thing, I kind of, if you will, grew up on the idea of... um, you know, the rapture going to be, uh, uh, Project Bluebeam was going to rapture up all the New Agers and stuff like that. And, you know, you get that from listening to New Agers who, whether, you know, whoever's talking to them, demons or otherwise, are telling them that they're going to be raptured. But I think that we as, as Christians need to be a little more on guard about that kind of stuff. Every time we hear, and I'm as guilty about this as anybody, for sure, but, uh, you know, whenever you hear what, what demons are telling the people that are listening to them, you know, whether it be Alice Bailey or anybody else, y- demons can tell a bunch of stuff that's going to happen, but that doesn't mean it's going to happen. I mean, Satan is the father of lies, and he'll tell people a lot of stuff to get them to do whatever he wants them to do, but uh, it doesn't mean it's going to be true. We could say, well, demons, you know, know the plan better and stuff like that. Well... Who knows the plan better, demons or God? And God seems to have it pretty well under control uh, because he has given us scriptures like First Thessalonians uh, 4, which, uh, which clearly says that there will be a resurrection uh, of those who are... You know, let me just read it. First Thessalonians 4, just so we can kind of temper this with some uh, some scripture. It says... For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Is there any room in that for that being about wicked people? The people, first of all, the dead were dead in Christ, so we know they're not evil. The ones who are alive and remain that are getting caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air are obviously happy about it because they're going to always be with the Lord. And it says to comfort one another with those words. They wouldn't say comfort yourself with those words if you didn't want to be with the Lord. Uh, I, I just don't see any reason in all the, the, the rapture verses that we have, there's no indication of that. And we have quite a number of them, which we could go to. Uh, and none of and, and they're so 1,000 miles away from the idea that these are going to be wicked people that are raptured. And, and they quote instead uh, a verse like Proverbs, what is it, 1030, that uh, says, The righteous will never be removed, but the wicked will not inhabit the earth. This is clearly not talking about the rapture in terms of the righteous will never be removed in terms of a rapture, but it's clearly meaning to teach the righteous will never be removed, but the wicked will not inhabit the earth. It's it's talking about the the righteous will ultimately stand the test of time, but the wicked people won't. I mean, the context of Proverbs 10 shows other discussions about the right, righteous, for example, 1028 the hope of the righteous will be gladness but expect but the expectation of wicked of the wicked will perish or proverbs 1029 the way of the lord is strength for the upright but destruction will come to the workers of iniquity uh you know we could talk about 
Proverbs 10.20, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is, is worth. So we get the flavor of what's happening in Proverbs 10, contrasting the righteous and the wicked in these kind of contexts. So when we get to Proverbs 10.30, when it's talking about the righteous will never be removed, but the wicked will not inhabit the earth, or the mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut out. Um, we know that it's talking about this in terms of a lesson about Basically, the steadfastness and sureness of the way of the righteous, as opposed to the the uh, silly and folly of of uh, an ultimate destruction of following the path of the wicked. So it's just meant to teach that. It's not meant to teach uh, about the 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 fact that uh, you know it's not meant to teach about the rapture. Obviously, I'll briefly hit on another thing that people say about the rapture that sort of applies to this, although it's the exact reverse. They say that only the super, super good people go uh, in the rapture, and, and, and the sort of nominal or worldly Christians, they don't go. This is just fraught with error. Um, first of all, like Paul said, the dead in Christ will rise for first, and then we who are alive and remain you know, go after them. So it's not it's not a picking and choosing kind of thing. There isn't a theology in the Bible of those that are super saved and those that are, you know, just sort of saved. That theology is is just terrible. You either have the Holy Spirit or you do not. And those that do have the Holy Spirit will be raptured. It's pretty simple. There isn't any teaching or anything else that can uh, can change that. I think perhaps some of, some of this also comes from the theology of, of seeing a bunch of people who claim to be Christian these days who obviously aren't and have no fruit in their lives and just clearly not saved, but due to culture or whatever else, bad uh, evangelism have come to believe that they are saved. But um, so there is a lot of that going on. I think there's going to be a ton of apostasy in the end times when people like that are given the opportunity to choose, you know, life uh, or death, and the the death isn't going to look very uh, pleasing to them because they don't really care for Christ anyway that much to 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 give away everything. So there's going to be a ton of apostasy in the end times because of that, um, in my opinion. But also, I think it's going to be a time of great purification. That is, the people that were on the fence are going to have to really do that. They're going to have to to give it all up. And I think even in that process, they'll. They'll, they'll gain a lot more than they ever could by uh, apostatizing. So the the uh, this kind of stuff about who goes in the rapture and is there going to be a, a false rapture with the, with the lights and stuff like that. Just briefly on that point, the idea that uh, you know there's going to be one of the, what Project Bluebeam. Project Bluebeam cannot rapture anybody. I don't know why I used to think that. I mean, I used to, back in the sort of quasi just coming out of the New Age Christian area. Uh, I would, I would thought, you know, Project Bluebeam could have something to do with that, but Project Bluebeam is not going to rapture any New Agers. It's not going to rapture anybody. It just does some holograms. At at best, it can put something in the sky and 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 make a an image in the sky, but it's not going to, um, to rapture anybody. That that's a technology that is a. Uh, 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 quite a long ways away, and so I don't think that Satan's going to do it. Certainly not with the New Agers, and he may tell the New Agers he's going to do it, but that's a big difference from actually doing it. There's certainly no indication in Scripture that he's going to do it, uh, so there, we should have no reason to think that he is. Okay, well, I think that does it for this episode. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to write me. Just go to the website BibleProphecyTalk.com, and we'll talk to you later. Bye bye. 
Thanks for listening. If you would like a free copy of the Christianity 101 DVD, which contains 8 gigabytes of audio, video, and text of various discipleship materials on a data DVD, please go to any one of my websites and look for the Christianity 101 button. It's totally free, and I'll ship it to you wherever you are in the world. If you would like to support this ministry or any of the others that I do, please consider a tax-deductible donation, which can be sent by PayPal using the email chris at chriswhiteministries.com or by clicking the PayPal button on any one of my websites. Another great way to support this ministry is by writing a review of the podcast on iTunes or writing a review of my books on Amazon. Reviews figure very prominently into the ranking algorithms of both of those websites, and the higher they rank, the more people that can be reached. Thanks for your time and for subscribing to this feed.